Hello and welcome to the movie podcast at TIFF. My name is Shabazz and I'm joined by my fellow other uh, TIFF goers, my, 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 my fellow friends, uh, buddies, brothers. I don't know what to call you guys. I feel Tiffers. like I certain- Tiffers, man. Tiffers? Tiffers. Tiffers, bro. Tiffers. I don't know. It just sounds weird. Write that down. Tiffers. Next year, Tiffers. Yeah, write it down so you remember it. With my fellow Tiff- Tiffers. Tiffers, yeah. I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm going to call you guys at my all. My fellow Tiffy Taffers. You no. tell me Tiffy Taffers. Tiffy Taffers. What are we like <laughs> part of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? Yeah. That's what it feels like. <laughs> We come out, it we does. sing a song. Yeah. yeah. What song are you going to sing, though, Anthony? Tell us. Well, we'll, we'll just sing the Bulgaria song. And we'll, start, we'll, start clap- we'll just start, we'll start, start clapping, clapping in the background. Yeah. No one say we'll hard, though, please. We'll, we'll have no. the, the, the sus- what is the suspenders? No, suspenders, really? yeah. Overalls. We're wearing overalls and little clogs, and we'll be point- painted orange for Tiff, right? Tiff is orange. Oh, there you go. T- it all comes full circle. I love. I was it. hoping you guys would get there. That's why I said the whole Willy Wonka yeah. thing. I was, <laughs> I was thinking five steps ahead. I didn't. I didn't realize. There you go. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I, I don't want to take too much time. I, there's a lot that's going to be happening this episode. There's a lot because if you read the title of this episode, a it was a really long title because I told Daniel make it three paragraphs, and Daniel's like, I don't think it's going to fit. But it doesn't matter because we'll find a way. We'll find. We a way. find a way. Yes, life finds a way. Of course, we are talking about Jurassic Park tonight. No, we're talking about some really, really good and amazing interviews that we had a chance to have during TIFF with some fantastic, fantastic people, uh, directors from across the world who kind of came to our amazing little festival to talk about so many different movies, producers as well. There's a lot that happened at TIFF. Uh, if we're going to hopefully have a main episode soon and we'll cover it all and all the craziness that's kind of happened here. We've had a chance to do so much during TIFF. TIFF, it didn't feel like two weeks this time. It felt like two months for some reason. I don't know for you guys. I don't know how we're almost at the end of September because I feel like we just blinked from August and then everything happened and yeah. now we're at almost the end of the month. I don't, yeah. I, I literally don't understand the time vortex that we were shot through. It's, it was it's a, pretty crazy. It was a very long month in such a short span. And mm-hmm. we, I remember getting our, our badges and then by the Nothing time else. I got the badge, <laughs> badge, it was already October. And I'm like, where did this month go? But yeah, that's, yeah. that's the pandemonium of being in the movie podcast crew. That's true. <laughs> So are you like telling people not to apply if they ever get an opportunity? No, they got Wait, people can apply? Can apply? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, we have a LinkedIn. Yeah. That's how it works, right? I've been hey, man, hiring for so go. long. Is, when you join the movie podcast, it's like being part of the the Marines, like the Navy the SEALs. You're either like in it we're part of, we're or part of Dutton Ranch. Yes. We all have a branding, right? Like we all got the movie podcast branding above our chest. Yeah. Yeah, just the little speech the bubble branding, film strip. Yeah. 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 yeah, the cow branding. Yeah, why do we all just do it to each other? It was like... That's yeah, all at the same time. <laughs> all at the same time. Painful. Painful, it was painful. Painful. But it was worth it. Yeah. Hopefully the show never goes under. So that would be awkward then. Of course, like I mentioned in the beginning, we have a collection of amazing interviews with some fantastic directors and producers from such movies as Dumb Money, Fingernails, Flora and Son, and In Flames. With Tiff, the madness is as always there. We finished a screening for, I think it was The Boy and the Heron. We finished our no, screen. No, nothing else. I don't know what it was, but we finished the movie and then we had to run around and find a quiet place to record. It was the delinquents. Oh, delinquents. We saw the delinquents Sorry, yes. and then we had a, a the virtual interview, in-person interview, then we had a, an event at the evening. Yeah. Yes. It w- what a long day, but we found a nice quiet spot, recorded the interview and, and none the wiser was anybody, I'd say. No, we were in the, the Australia Pavilion. Ah, uh, we um, in, <laughs> oh, That's not how they said it. Is to say hello? Uh, yeah, we were in Australia. Thank you to Australia, you know, for, 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 for getting our spot. Thank mates, you, mates. You know? Thanks, Mike. 
mates. Thanks, mates. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it was fun. And I think that's just the magic of TIFF. You're just finding anywhere that you could find a quiet spot, a, a, a free area. And we, you know, had a lovely conversation. And I think you have Inflames, which was at Cannes, and then now it's at TIFF. And, you know, speaking uh, to both these lovely people today who are, you know, Pakistani Canadian, like you, Shabazz. What? You know, oh. I'm just, just like okay. unveiling the truth here. Um, I, I think it's it's just so special because, you know, to have a film premiere outside of your home is, is amazing. But I think there's always something about that homecoming. We're just like, you know what? Like I'm living here. I'm, I'm showing something that we've created to the world, to my community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really special. And I think In Flames is a very special film. I agree. And I, I think like the thing that you touched upon me being a Pakistan Canadian, which is wow, shocking to me. What? Uh, yeah. Oh. News to me, really. Interesting. It was it was. It was surreal. Like I've I've never really kind of been in a position where I could speak to people that were in this industry that you know look like me in a way, and it it just really it felt it felt so warm. It was yeah. it felt like a hug. Like I and it, we had we've had a chance to meet them in person. So yeah, we could we couldn't escape. Uh, and, no, you know we we're just like we we're just like oh like every event like here you guys are yeah so um, but we, you know we did speak to Aman Vilani last year we did. But it was very short. It was very, it was very short, short amount of time. We haven't seen her in person. We have not. Maybe soon. Maybe with Maybe the soon. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah. But I mean, I think it's always nice when you have um, just people who are, are are working their way through this industry, who have or who are hungry, who have stories that they want to tell. Um, and I think Zarar and, and and Omar just just are people who have that that hunger to tell stories yeah. and to have their culture shown and to just to to re i think define what a canadian film is i think right? that's the one thing that we kind of touched upon a lot was the the idea of a canadian film and i know that someone like matt johnson has spoken a lot about this where canadian movies have a certain look and we've even spoken about it as well yeah a line. certain look or certain feel like yeah like, oh yeah like that that's, that's a canadian, a canadian film. film yeah you, you don't get that with Inflames. You, you you get this really beautiful movie that really has a lot of passion behind a lot of love mm-hmm. behind it. And at no point do you go like, oh, it's just a Canadian film. No, it's like, that's a really damn good looking movie. It's a really damn good movie. So And it was made by Canadians. And it was made by Canadians. Yeah. Bugs Sunny as well. So yeah. that's, that's always awesome. That's always good to see. I want to tell you about the people who keep the lights on for the movie podcast. And that would be our good friends over at Movie. Movie, you know, they are sponsoring this show. They are sponsoring us. So thank you so much to them. There's a lot that you can learn about film and cinema just by browsing their app. And of course, you get one month free by using our special code, Wink, wink. It could be somewhere nearby, like uh, maybe in the show notes. Oh, my God. What else is in what there, is Shay? <laughs> oh, a in their show notes. There's you a can, lot there. You'll be able to see our Discord. You'll be able to see our, our social media uh, handles and everything. So join our Discord. We're having some great conversations in there, especially. So if you do that, you will get a special prize. You'll get a hello from Daniel or myself yeah. on Cameo. We're not on there. I'm yeah, sure. and you'll get a month free of movie. Oh, hello. Hello. Yeah. So let's not take too much time. I want to kick it right over to our first interview with director Christos Niku for Fingernails. Christos, thank you so much for taking your time with us today on the movie podcast. Uh, I have to say, first of all, my fingers are still hurting after watching this movie. So thank you so much for that experience. Um, the movie, the idea is, is so interesting and it's so out there. I was, I was kind of curious, where did the idea come from? Um, I mean, it came a few years ago when I was trying to understand a lot of things around love and I was trying to find what is love because I didn't know and I'm still, I think, I don't know what is love. And uh, we were trying to find a way to make a movie about uh, dating apps, about how people are experiencing love right now through dating apps, I mean, and through other ways. 
and uh, also how people are using their fingers in a way to find their perfect match by swapping right or left. Mm -hmm. That's why also the fingers are there. That's very that's very intelligent. I like that there's so much involved with obviously how we use tactile devices and also how we're kind of always looking for the next partner. I like that you brought up the fact that you're trying to figure out and understand love. What is it that you learned about love during this process? Uh, look, in the movie in general, we're not trying to give answers about love because, first of all, I'm not the god that knows the answers. <laughs> and also, love is the most elusive thing. You cannot even put it in your head and analyze it. It's something that we just feel, in a way. Uh, so, um, the only thing that I think we're trying to say from with this film is that love hurts, but also it's so, so great, so we just need to feel it. Yeah, love love does hurt, and obviously you are showing that physically as well in this movie, and the characters are doing such a great balance of understanding, you know, what is love really, and is something like this so possible? I have to ask, like, you know, you, you've got to shoot this movie in Toronto. There's a scene literally that takes place right across the street from here. You guys are driving down Bay Street. Uh, any memorable Oh, you moments? realize that, that it's on Bay Street. Yeah, you were right here shooting. And I remember I was looking, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be there tomorrow <laughs> talking to him. Uh, any memorable moments shooting in the city? Like anything that kind of stands out to you? I love that night, to be honest, on Bay Street, because it was very hard to uh, to close the whole Bay Street in order to shoot there. So that was a little bit crazy, but we did it. Uh, no, I, I loved everything. I mean, I think that uh, Toronto is, I don't know, Toronto is the city of love. And it's great that we're shooting here a movie about love. I love that. I love that so much. Is there something that you really want audiences to kind of take away from this movie, a really specific message or just a feeling? I think that it will be great if they will question a few things on themselves. I mean, about uh, their own relationships, their own experience with love. And of course, if they will keep the movie after the end credits roll in their mind and will think a little bit more. Absolutely. And last question for you here is, is there someone particular that you really want to show this movie to that maybe hasn't seen it yet? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> well, I don't think that I have somebody particular. I mean, I'm, I with the first film, it's funny because we saw it to so many people in the industry and people that I admire, and uh, we were sending the film and we we're getting great feedback. But right now, I really think that I need the audience to discover this film and feel the emotions that we created in this film. Yeah, there's a lot of emotions definitely that you can kind of take away from this movie. Are you planning to ever expand it, make it a, a bigger story? Is that ever something you're looking at down the road? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Well, Christos, thank you so much for your time today. You know, I hope you enjoy the rest of the city and the rest of the festival. I know people are going to be loving this movie. There's a lot to take away from it, a lot of lessons to learn, and I'm really glad we got to experience it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> and now, director of Florence Sun, John Carney. John, thank you so much for joining us today on the movie podcast. I absolutely love this movie. It's so fun. There's so much great music in it. Um, I have to say, music is such a universal language, and it's something that has kind of always been center stage in all your previous films, and including this one. So what is it about music that helps you kind of tell these stories? You know, I, I think that um, music was always in my life and has scored the best bits of my life. And uh, I think what I'm trying to do with these films is reenact that, you know, and re-experience that. 
with Boy Meets Girl or singer-songwriter gets dumped by pop star or school band is formed and I guess now with you know young 14 year old delinquent kid finds music and repairs some of the damage that's being you know that's happening in his family life I'm retelling the same thing again and again and seeing how elastic it is and seeing if I can apply those same tonal kind of tools or whatever to various different stories and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm enjoying doing it and there seems to be a little audience for it so that's that's all you can ask for as a filmmaker absolutely definitely a big audience because i mean your films are so beloved and i think this one as well is going to hit audiences in such a sweet spot especially the fact that it's so mother and son related the mother relationship is so amazing mm, yeah um, it is, it, 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 we all come from that place, you know, whether we like it or not, <laughs> you know, she is the, the earth and the, 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 the way we get into our lives. Um, it's a big, endless and very emotional connection, mm-hmm. whether literal or subconscious or whatever. So I agree with you. I think that, um, once I sort of landed on that was going to be the focus of my film, um, I felt like that's going to touch people in absolutely. an interesting way. Now, Oren Killen's performance is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I got to ask, he's, it's his first feature debut. He doesn't really come from a music background. What was it about him that made you say, that's the max that I want? Yeah, he, I, I, I did say that about him. And it was very late in the day. And I was getting very panicky because I wasn't finding the right kid. He was still... He didn't move his hands around like a lot of, you know, young actors often think that they should move around, that, that mm-hmm. I get the job because of this. Um, he didn't seem like he was looking for adult approval right. in his tape. There was kind of a cold killer thing about his tape. He just walked in and he said his thing, didn't move his face too much. What's that? It's a guitar. What's it doing there? And I love that stillness. Right. And... He just won me over immediately. I knew his dad, who was an an actor back in Ireland. And I was like, we can make this movie now. And I remember ringing the producers and saying, we we can greenlight them. We can go. Amazing. Because it was late. It was a couple of weeks before the film began. And I hadn't found them. And I wasn't going to make the movie with with, uh, somebody who couldn't do what Lawrence is doing, what what Oren is doing in the film. Absolutely. And what is it that you do with the actors to kind of dive deeper into that complex relationship with a mother and son? I mean, I don't get into it too much in terms of discussion, Um, you know, because obviously, you know, Eve isn't a mom in real life. Um, So she's coming at it from a point of view of not knowing what Mm -hmm. that feels like. I am a dad, but I don't want to enforce that on Eve or, and I'm also obviously a son, but I don't want her just to do my, I don't want Oren to just retell my story. So as a film director doing these things, I tend to just sit there and I tell stories about my life, but I don't say you have to do it this way. Right. So I'll just give hints or clues or drop things in that might help make, bring these characters together and make them look like a plausible uh, mother and son relationship. Right. Um, and, but they did a great job. I mean, you really believe that they're connected. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, John, for thank taking you your time with us today. Good luck with the premiere today. I know everyone's going to love it, and I oh, think I it's so. just going to be awesome. Excellent. Thank great. you. Thank you. This episode of the Movie Podcast is brought to you by Movie, a global curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. 
Some recent movie releases include Park Chan-wook's Decision to Leave, Leia Mises' The Five Devils, and Lars von Trier's The Kingdom Trilogy. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. And speaking of festivals, the Toronto International Film Festival is happening right now and there is a world of cinema in Toronto. And the only other place that you can get a world of cinema at your fingertips is on movie. Picture this, you and your closest friends in a screen loaded with hand-picked cinematic gems, all courtesy of movie. Are you bored of the same old movies available every single streaming service? Mubi is the place where you're going to get something that you've never heard of before, and it may just be your next favorite film. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash The Movie Podcast. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash The Movie Podcast for a whole month of great cinema for free. And now please welcome Zarar Khan and Anam Abbas for In Flames. Thank you guys so much for joining us today on the movie podcast. Thank you, Zara and Anam. Thank you guys for having us. Of course. No, we're so grateful for you sharing your time and we, we love the film. So we're just, uh, we're so excited to be talking with you guys as well, which is, uh, it's awesome. No, uh, Zara, we, we have to ask you first and foremost, where did in flames begin for you? Where did this idea come from? Where did you, um, you know, pull from to start creating this film? Uh, I mean, in 2018, I made a short film called Via which was like partially shot on my phone. I was doing this lab that was like filmmakers from Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, and like I made the film, the 24 minute film Bia as part of that. And um, at that point, it was kind of this film that was just about a young woman who has a secret boyfriend and it was very much a drama. And it uh, after I finished the film, I realized that there was a lot of things that the film was touching on that I wanted to develop further and that I had barely scratched the surface with in the short version. And also I realized that the film was even as a drama, it was scary. It was like a thriller, you know? And I'm like, that was not the intention when we were writing the script, but there was so much fear like written into those relationships. Um, and I, as I developed as an artist and my journey continued and I kept, you know, making shorts while also further developing this into a feature, um, I started really discovering like a love for genre and genre elements and what genre filmmakers are doing and, you know, discovering the works of D'Argento and John Carpenter and then seeing what's happening today with like people like Julio DeCarno and Jordan Peele and um, also as I was writing it, I really had very close relationships with my talent, Bakhtar Mazir, who plays the role of Fariha. And there was another actress who was initially attached. And um, I was doing my big rewrites during the pandemic, you know, when everyone like was like, the world's ending, let's just tell it like it is now. Um, and these performers started telling me about the very real horrors that they were experiencing, you know, working as artists and living as women in Pakistan. And th those kind of like twinning with my passions of genre filmmaking led me kind of wanting to use this approach to tell this story. Cause I also think genre has this long history of being subversive of um, allowing to tell truths that otherwise we might not have the flexibility and the permission, the creativity to tell without it feeling like message cinema. And I find that kind of cinema kind of exhausting personally. Like I fucking hate green book. Um, so, you know, um, this kind of led to the creation of this film for me i grew up between pakistan and canada and uh at like really pivotal ages my family moved between the countries and 
I really saw how a lot of my life, you know, as a young boy didn't change too much, but, um, the lives of the women around me were really upended. Um, and that left a lasting imprint. And then the last 10 years I've been working out of Pakistan with my production team and meeting these incredible dynamic women, people like Anam, who Anam made this incredible documentary. Um, and wanting to also talk about the resilience and the hope um, and the joy and all of these kind of elements, you know, I've tried to package into this film. I love that you said subversive because I think watching this film, both Shay and I and, and our co-host Anthony, who's not on the on the call with us, uh, we were just so moved by how you're able to tell a story that one is one entertaining, of course, but also just touches on so many themes of morality and just humanity and also sharing something that's real and raw. Now, for both of you, just very curious, like what paths kind of led you to each other? <laughs> I mean, I've been stalking Alam's work, so not random for me. Mutual <laughs> <Cool> fandom. <laughs> yeah. Same. Like, I think every time that I would have a new short come out, I get really excited. Like, it was just like I was excited to watch, not like, you know, because it's like, what is he going to do next? You know? Um, so yeah it was like a no-brainer to you know when we were like all right this is time for time for debut feature let's let's go i mean we both overlap both in terms of like our principles and our approach towards creating films but also the kind of films we like you know which is like super rare where it's like it's not just uh, it's not just taste it's also like the approach of how are we going to actually make this and what team are we going to put together and how are we going to build this story? Because so much of storytelling is not just a story, but like the people you surround yourself with. And we, we try to create, you know, the best we could under the extreme circumstances we were going through. Yeah. We're both Canadian Pakistanis, but like filmmakers who've been living and working in Pakistan and like very opposed to, or like, you know, have thoughts about extractive filmmaking and like, you know, and just, ensuring where the voice is coming from and like being exposed both of us have a very different exposure to the sort of the western industry and market but like you know we know we know you know what we know what it's been like and we know where we come from and where our position is and the sense of responsibility that comes with it absolutely and uh Anam, did you grow up in like in, in toronto area as well too or are you somewhere else in canada no, I was born and raised in Pakistan. I moved to Canada when I was 18, went to went to film school here, um, worked here for a while, produced some shorts uh, with uh, fellow graduates from uh, film school from Sheridan. Um, and honestly, 10 years ago, uh, when I was thinking about starting my career here, it just did not feel like a great place for me. And I didn't think there was a place for my stories and my voice. And I, I chose differently i chose a new path for myself and for me in many ways like going back to pakistan and thinking about a career there making cinema there was like that wasn't the easy path because there was nothing there you know in 2012 there was one one independent film that had made um that was in cinemas and in some ways things are worse now because independent cinema films are not getting any distribution uh there's a lot more censorship because there are more voices now and more people making films but like the last decade has been on Zara's part and my part, like and, and so many other people in our community building a community from scratch. And and that's work that I will always continue to do. Um and so yeah, so I'm very much as a creative and as a producer, uh, I occupy two worlds and I think that's such a privilege and uh really exciting that like that I can do that. 
Definitely. And I think it's that you, you great that you touched upon that because one of the things for me while watching this movie that was so powerful was knowing the fact that the whole film was in Urdu. Like I, when the movie started, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. The you know, first couple of minutes probably in Urdu and then it'll probably switch at some point. And it just kept going. And I was like wide eyed. I was like, this, there's no way the whole movie, are we going to actually do this? I don't have to use subtitles. Like that was a huge step for me. So really grateful for that. And I, it, it, that representation was so powerful because we're seeing that so much now, you know, we had Miss Marvel that just came out recently and that kind of felt like brought Pakistan and all that light on us and said, Hey, look, we're not just, part of india we're not just this like we, we can be so much more and i think seeing something like this come out which is so beautifully made it's like wow that representation is just perfect so really grateful to you guys for that thanks i mean it's creating the representation like we didn't have you know but now future generations will have it and i, I i'm excited to see how they push it further Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's uh, Canadian I, cinema too. It's, you know, on the Pakistani side, you can say Joyland, Miss Marvel, Zendigi Tamasha, so many films that are successful internationally. But on the Canadian side, as Canadian filmmakers, there's Rice Boy Sleeps. There's, you know, more films this year in the program, The Screen of My Dreams. So, you know, I think it's also, we there's a need to redef- redefine what Canadian cinema is because us Canadians have uh, an experience that is uh, global. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. I saw to use subtitles. Uh, just, just, just I tried translating for you. It's close Talking, to Shay, uh, surprising. You know, I know. <laughs> Don't know. Urdu. As close as Shayar, you know, he has not taught me yet. So uh, that's something that I'm going to work on on my own. Uh, but I, w- I want to ask both of you because you know you got your film into uh, Cannes and to the Toronto International Film Festival. What was that feeling like for both of you to have like this is something that we've made, we've given so much of ourselves and our souls to. Um, how does it feel now to be have it premiering? One like outside of Canada and then in Canada as well as, you know, hometown as hometown as being Pakistani Canadian, having it represented here. Right. All good. You know, <laughs> no worries. Uh, can was extremely like shocking and stressful and exhilarating and like every emotion I've ever felt in my life. Um, and Tiff has so far just been very like relaxing because like the film, you know, we already got reviews out. We've shared it. It exists in the world. Yeah, we kind of like resealed it after Can until Tiff and we didn't show it anywhere. And now to bring it here, like we've only had one screening so far, but um, the community here has just really come out and been incredibly supportive. And from all angles, like we're, you know, I'm seeing intersectional, like when we, me, when me and Anand decided to build our careers back in Pakistan, because we felt like there wasn't a space for us there's a like creative Canadian creatives have been doing so much work in that while that we're now contributing to, but coming back now, there's suddenly so much intersectional community and support and we're thrilled to be a part of that. And we're really witnessing that at this TIFF where a, there, a lot of those filmmakers are now coming into their own. There's titles like Anand was saying, queen of my dreams, backspot deep by DW, um, other creators who I was in the TIFF lab with, watching those films come to fruition i think we're in for a sea change of what canadian cinema looks like and i'm so thrilled that in flames gets to be a part of that definitely and uh yeah i mean canada is not uh, canada and especially if we're looking like here in ontario and toronto like some of the most diverse places in the world right so there are so many stories to be told there and and i'm curious when you're when you're shooting in pakistan what was that experience like for you um what were the challenges when you were uh shooting there and just you know telling the story do you want to kick it off or so i mean 
Zarar and I, because we've been working for a decade, we've built a community around just like the independent space. And that's very, very small, like extremely small. We all know each other, but like, and there's a lot of trust, but you know, it's very hard to crew up when you're on an indie budget. Um, and so it takes a very special kind of person who really believes you, believes in the cinema, believes in what we're doing. And that's like, that's, that's really to our advantage as indie filmmakers that when we're, that we're able to create in that kind of space, like, you know, not a bad vibe in the, in the crew because we, because there's so much intentionality. And I think that is a necessity of, of creating in a space where you, where you're kind of really just on your own, you know, I have a good story but one of the hardest shots that we got, I mean, honestly, the whole shoot was amazing and exhilarating. And I got my first migraine and had to figure out what that <laughs> was and how to survive. But, you know, we were doing like 14 hour days. I think we had six hour turnarounds. We shot for 25 days straight. Our first shoot was nine days in a row. Um, it was insane. You know? COVID. It wasn't going to be that way. We were, we we're trying to keep it chill, but then yeah. like, but we, also, was... we were rescheduling in real time. So people were getting COVID and we didn't have any money to do reshoots. So it was like, right. we're just going to keep this ship ahead. Um, but yeah, the one scene, you know, the house is on fire. We can't really shoot that more than twice. Um, we have our DP, a golden Brolatova, who is on a crane 50 feet in the sky um, on the beach, which is below because the house is on a hill and she's shooting it. And like, it's a beautiful shot and the tide is coming in and a is being swept out to sea on the crane um, while the house is on fire, while she's 50 <laughs> feet in the sky. And I'm just like, did we get the shot? Did we get the shot? Can we get a goal down? Like, can we save the crane before it's out into the Arabian Sea? You know? Um, well, and yeah. she like floats off to Tanzania, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you meet her there. She's got floaties on it. That's the after credits. You know, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember when we got the shot, we had to like get the entire crew down to like suck the crane out of the ocean because it had like gone like, you know, I mean, the shoot was a miracle. And when I look at the footage, I mean, it's hard for me to enjoy it because I'm like, oh, my God, the shot was so hard. Um, but uh, I'm really thrilled with how we captured Karachi because I wanted to capture all the beauty and the pain and the frustration and the terror, um, but also the pleasure of that city. And I feel like it it, it did that. So, yeah. It yeah, shooting on location was like, I think, the biggest challenge and also the biggest, um, I think, strength of the film yeah i mean i, I kept waiting for like the, the the end credits just to see like okay was it shot in karachi because a lot of it did look familiar to me but i'm like i want to know like how much and it just where right at the end there you have that little part of the, the credits shot Wilson, joe down this is my one thing about miss marvel because they thought they shot in bangkok and they'd be yeah. rolling karachi and i love miss marvel and shermina yeah. bitch noise like a mentor of mine but i'm like I, I know. Come on, guys. You know, <laughs> that was my exact reaction. I'm like, oh, I don't remember this part of Pakistan. This looks very Thailand to me. Uh, but I, but I do have to ask, you know, like, like me going back there every time I went back and I was hanging out with my cousins, the, the idea of possessions and ghosts were, I feel like so embedded in Pakistani culture. There were always the stories that they wanted to tell. And I'm curious how much of those urban legends kind of played into your story. I mean, you know, I did religious studies growing up in Pakistan and being told about like in class about the ghost that's in the gym that's in the room and you know make sure you close your lights and 
that's just part of the culture in such a deep way that living there you you just it becomes part of your storytelling it becomes part of your beliefs and karachi especially has like a sufi tradition um and there's a huge culture of superstitions of talismans you know um and i done some work in that region before where you know like i i met i went and met with faith healers and and shamans and I always knew I wanted to explore that in the film and what that means like in the culture because you know when we talk about ghosts we're not talking about like it in like a theoretical way where like there is a third dimension and that's the one that all the jinns live in and it's a very real thing. So it was always in my head that you know this is just it's a part of life and it's a part how it's also a way that characters like Fariha and Mariam would contextualize their life. So when they're experiencing horror and they're experiencing, you know, for them to see a ghost is not something that they're going to run off screening, screaming away from. They're going to see it as something that is rooted in their reality because they live in this city. Um, so because so much of the story and the film had to come from how their view of reality was, it also had to speak to um, jinns and ghosts because that's part of the culture. It's part of the reality. And and beyond the metaphysical reality of, of our culture, I think that when you have a society that does not have social protection, um, figures like faith healers, what, what position do they then occupy in that society when, you know, I think that was that's that's very that's my favorite favorite scene in the film I would say, and I think that's not very important to explore in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 an intense scene. Uh, well, Anam Zarar, you know, thank you both so much for spending your time with us today. This is, movie is fantastic, and I think we're in such a great spot for Canadian cinema, where you guys are really pushing that boundary forward. And the movie looks beautiful, plays beautiful. It's a movie that I can't wait to show my family, not even just for representation's sake, but for the fact that it's like, look, this is what can be done, not only just by Pakistanis, but also by Canadians. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And our final interview of this episode, the director of Dumb Money, Craig Gillespie. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time with us today on the movie podcast. We're such huge fans of this movie. We absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, awesome. we, we love all of your work. I think uh, it, it, your your films always end up on our list of like the best films of the year or the best shows of the year. So thank you. It's very kind. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, first question we got to ask right away is, did you invest at the time when uh, the stock was there? I invest at the wrong time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my son is what got me involved in this whole this whole situation. He was watching Wall Street bets. He was investing early. He timed it perfectly with options. Amazing. Got out the next morning with the big spike. Then he said to me, "I'm going to just grab one more option. I really don't recommend it." But I'm doing it. I'm like, well, if you're doing it, I'm doing it. <laughs> I lost. Oh, no. So you're not holding it anymore. You're not, you're not waiting. No, the option says that you cannot hold. It's like it's to a date. And uh -huh. if it doesn't hit, zero. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now we know. Good yeah. enough. You know, you, you've worked on some incredible films over the years, like we were saying. And I think you've brought these characters who are larger to life to the screen and in very distinct time periods. This is a very fresh story. Yes. So I'm curious, what was it like for you to, you know, tackle something that just happened that feels so on top of mind for everybody and how was it different from what you've done before this was such a, an intense period for everybody you know with covid with what was going on in the world and 
like the 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 discontent going on the disparity of wealth like like people really self-evaluating and and trying to figure out what's important in their lives the social causes that were happening black lives matter in in the states there was just so many things happening that were reassessing who what we our value system is um this i think touched on this discontent that was happening with the disparity of wealth in the country and it happened to be about GameStop. It just happened to be that that was the vehicle that people could voice that, you know, and that's why I think it just surmounted this eight million strong army yeah. to be heard and to like hold somebody accountable and just against what they feel is a system that is rigged, that is unfair, like, you know, against like, the lack of government intervention and and it just became like the zeitgeist. So to be able to like have the opportunity to capture that and that discontent that was so recent in our lives and so raw was exhilarating for me and so like it, it moved very quickly we were constantly adapting to new information that we had or discovered along the way and trying to like really hold on to that frustration and that anger that i felt was going on in the community at the time you know mm -hmm. and you see that throughout the film you you i think yeah. you captured that moment in time so like almost like like uncomfortably yeah, accurate, yeah. definitely. Uh, oddly, it was a very quick aha moment when we, I sat down to start shot listing and realized, oh, people are wearing masks all the time <laughs> while they're acting. And so we had to just do this very elegant right. yeah. like take a drink of water so we, <laughs> so we can see you yeah. or you guys are sitting and eating right now so you can take your mask off. Right. Yeah. You know. Something that we found so interesting about this film, especially when the credits started to roll, was seeing Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss's names kind of attached as executive yeah. producers. Just so curious, like, what was that experience like? Were we working with them, or did they kind of bring anything? Because I feel like it was actually in that situation they were attached to the material. So when we uh, with Ben Mesrick's book, so mm -hmm. they they came with the book, and uh, you know it was just part of that that deal. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think uh, like what you were talking about capturing that moment and capturing the internet culture and memes and things like that. Were you ever worried about capturing us that specific moment of time and like, you know, people who follow Wall Street Bets or Reddit know oh, what that looks these like? These are real memes, you know, these all the memes, all of that footage is is uh, is all like actual stuff. And that was kind of the joy of making this movie. It's like literally at one point my son came down, and he's like, this this Reddit post needs to be in the movie. It's the number one post right now. Oh. on Reddit, which was the guy drinking his own urine. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, so it just, it's such a commentary on what's going on, on, you know, in that forum. So we had the opportunity to like, put all of that in the film and I knew we had to be accurate with it, you know. Definitely, <laughs> but, absolutely. Yeah, it would not be kind online. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but you nailed it. Yeah. Now, music really kind of brings this movie together and, and all your movies and shows, like, you do such a great job at selecting the music. Curious, like, what was that process like? Are you doing it throughout the whole film, or is it really when it's coming together in editing? Well, oddly, it's like, which is not that common. Uh, the writers, Rebecca, Angelo, and Lauren Shukaboom, put WAP in the script. Yeah, one of the greatest songs ever made. Yeah, for the opening of the film. And it is very aggressive, it's in your face, but it sets a tone for, you know, what's going to be happening in the film with the conversation, with the kind of chatter that's online. And uh, I loved it. So we always had that in there, you know, and the same with actually Savage was in the script. Uh, some of the other songs we would find along the way, but it was great that they, uh, you know, they set the tone of it with those two songs. Absolutely. Yeah, you certainly did. Yeah. Well, Craig, thank you so much again for your time. We love this guys. movie and we had such a great time talking with you. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. I'm very happy you enjoyed it. Of course. <laughs> All right, go so quick. Awesome. That was I know, so just, quick. I know. I know. We're talking about WAP for five minutes. Is it too? <laughs>
Thank you so much to our phenomenal guests for being on the show with us. And of course, for everybody who's been listening to our TIFF coverage, we can't wait to hopefully be back next year. There's so much that happened during TIFF this year, like Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm sure you're going to be seeing a lot more of us for the foreseeable future. So if you don't like us, I'm so sorry. This is going to be your life going forward. We're going to be everywhere. Thank you again. If you want to find us everywhere, the best way to do that is go to the show notes of wherever you're listening, because there's going to be a lot of information there. Like, hey, What's your Twitter or what's your ex or what's no who's who's your ex? Sorry, not that. And like, what's your Instagram? All that stuff is right there, including Daniel and myself's letterboxed accounts because Anthony he, he uses it too much, I'd say. And like, there's too many movies <laughs> on there that you're gonna be like, oh, this guy's this guy's profile overwhelming. I, I need to follow the other on two there. guys. That Letterboxd that, didn't you, even have, you know? No, like, damn, crazy. movies from the future, from the past. 2037? <laughs> I'm like, I can't live in this world. I can't live in this world. Mission Impossible 23? I was like, how are you, yeah. how are you watching He's, that? Anthony's reviewing movies from TIFF, like, uh, TIFF, like, 19,000, <laughs> you know? Like, 90,000 years from now. Wow, my God. Yeah. Gosh. We're going to have, I hope we have movies then. I mean, I won't be here, but, yeah. I yeah, really I hope someone's dead. Someone's here. dead. I'm just letting everyone know. I oh, we all nineteen thousand years, like seventy thousand yeah. years from I now. Yeah, I, I would hope are. so, man. I think no, we AI sold our likeness. Over by then. We sold our likeness, oh. so we're we're still. Damn, alive is the movie somewhere. podcast still around after we're gone? It never dies. You know? It never dies. And movie podcast is forever. Yeah, that was that was our other motto that we were shopping around. Movie <laughs> podcast never dies, and they're like, okay, we don't get it, guys. And like I said, everything is available in our show notes below. Please leave us a comment. Let us know what movies you watch at TIFF. Join our Discord. We have a TIFF chat in there. We have other chat rooms as well. We would love to hear from moviegoers from around the world what their favorite movies are and what we should be checking out. Of course, that was this time with the movie podcast, and we'll see you next. 